joke so we'll just move on and just say that uh yeah this is the fbi's most unwanted i'm matt i'm justin and we are on to season three we have uh gotten all the way through the second season we're about to start season three here uh season three episode one the blessing way directed by rw goodwin written by chris carter originally aired september 22nd 1995 um so let's see a little uh, behind the scenes episode uh chris carter uh felt that this was one of his favorite episodes to write he thought it was uh kind of interesting to explore how Mulder would react to and handle the death of his father uh since especially at the time uh, Carter had recently lost one of his own parents, and he was dealing with the grief of losing a parent. Um, and, of course, uh, Frank Spotnitz, who was one of the producers, talked a lot about how the expectations were really high after uh, everybody over the summer going, you know, how did Mulder get out of that burning boxcar? And we, and he said, quote, we knew we had to answer that question and still leave an intriguing enough dilemma at the end of the show to bring viewers back for the third and final part. So, um, let's see. Uh, Carter also went to attend Navajo chants and rituals because he, thankfully, wanted to ensure the accuracy of the events in the episode after being alerted to inaccuracies in the season two finale by uh, Navajo scholars. Oh, snap. Yeah, well, hey, at least he admitted. He went, hey, you know, I want to, if I'm going to depict these people, I want to do it right. You Makes know? sense. So at least he was good enough to be like, all right, cool. Uh, let me go figure out what I did wrong so that all the Navajo stuff I'm going to uh, put into this episode can be right. Um, and there is, uh, there are rather two sand paintings in this episode and they had a professional come in to do those and they took an entire day to make. So yeah, those things look extremely intricate. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's pretty nuts. Um, let's see. And uh, I'm just trying to make sure uh, that there's nothing else. Uh, Apparently, oh, I didn't notice this uh, because I guess I'm not enough of a uh, music. I love music, but I'm not super uh, good at detecting subtleties in the way music is performed uh, i guess for the season three opener mark snow 
who is the music guy for the whole show, he slightly changed the piano melody for the opening theme to, uh, he changed it a little bit and shortened it a little bit um, because the opening credits were a little bit different. And so, yeah. I didn't notice that. I didn't notice it either. I had no idea till I was actually doing the research on the episode. I'm like, he changed it? Like, it sounded... So, that's what I mean when I say... Like, I'm sure music people would notice, but I'm not... My ear isn't that good. <laughs> Our ear's dumb after many concerts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, so, I was thinking about this episode uh, while I was watching it, and I think the way to break down this episode is a little bit different than the way we normally do, because, uh, Mulder and Skull, I'm uhing a lot today, my brain is dumb today, too, apparently. (laughs) We, Uh, we dumb. (laughs) We dumb. No, I think the way to do it best is because Mulder and Scully are apart for most of the episode, and because they keep cutting back and forth, uh, I think the way I want to do this today is because Mulder's stuff, like, important stuff happens in Mulder's part of the story, but there's not a lot of it. So I think it's almost... Yeah, his his whole arc is basically just him coming back on the brink of death. Right. And kind of like revelations in the sty- his style versus how uh, Scully dealt with hers. Yes, uh, a little bit. Uh, yeah, actually a little bit like when Scully was in the boat. Yeah. In the episode where she was in her coma, this is sort of the Mulder equivalent to that. So he's actually immobile for most of the episodes. So yeah, most of his stuff is also narrated by the, by by the, the Navajo. Navajo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so this episode picks up right where season two left off, where the... Smoking Man has ordered the military dudes to burn out the boxcar. We think that, or we're, we don't actually think, but we're led to believe that uh, they're burning up Mulder in that boxcar in the ground. And I want to get this character's name right because I keep forgetting it. The Code Talker. His name the th- is... The Thinker. Nope, not The Thinker. Nope, nope. I am the talking t- about uh, the... Albert Hosteen, the, the oh, Navajo the other, man. Okay, the now yes. I, I was I was thinking the guy that Mulder got the files from. Yes, uh, the Albert Hosteen, the Navajo man, narrates something that ends up being important later, but at the time seems like why is he talking about this? About how the Navajo people kind of learned the difference between history and memory and they care more about keeping things alive through memory than through actual history and we'll learn about why that's important in a little while but um then uh the smoking man and his goons show up at the hosting house with the kid they abducted and they have beaten the shit out of that yeah holy crap wow they beat a kid for information (laughs) it was insane like looking at like even the amount of bruises i'm like that is First of all, hitting a kid in general is bad enough, but how much damage that kid sustained is insane. They wanted information on that kid. He's a kid, and they beat him that badly to find out where Mulder is. It's nuts. Um, and they're like, you know, they say to Albert Hosteen and his son, they're like, you know, where's Mulder? 
his car is outside. I know he was here. And they're like, nope. And one of the guys cracks Hosteen in the face with the butt of his gun. And uh, Scully arrives. And Scully's uh, part of the story I said we're going to talk about later. But this is part of Mulder's story. She shows up. She says to Hosteen, you know, where is Mulder? And he essentially is like, I don't think he made it. So she goes off. And then the next day, some kids show up at the hosting house and they're like, hey, uh, there are buzzards circling around out where you went yesterday. And obviously buzzards mean they found something dead to eat. So they go out to find, they assume it's Mulder's body and they find him under a pile of rocks in like a little cave and they pull him out and he's barely hanging on to life and in the little cave is another alien body so they don't make it clear if like he <coughs> found an escape tunnel that the aliens had worked on although later on it kind of makes it seem like they probably couldn't have had their own tunnel well uh, no because during one of like his dream sequences it kind of weirdly flashbacks to when they get to uh, what I'm assuming was a flashback to them gassing mm-hmm. the aliens as they're running uh, uh, as they're running towards what I'm assuming was like a, a cave. Yeah, you see you're seeing them go through. But then I got confused because they because the prosthetics that they have only covered the top half of their bodies. Yeah, so you're seeing the, like uh... children feet. Like kid feet, it's a little yeah. Feet. It's it's a little low, little low budget. Uh, yeah, but um, so anyway, they take Mulder to this place called a Hogan, and they lay him down and they cover him up with like these special branches and everything. And Hosteen starts a ritual called the Blessing Way ritual, which is where this episode gets its title. That is essentially the Navajos believe this is a healing ritual. He learned it from his father. He saw that it had healing magic firsthand, and it's to help. And you know what it actually sort of reminded me of is years later, uh, the Black Panther ritual where they bury yeah. them and they go to see the people in the spirit realm. And it's kind of like that. It's kind of like that. So most of the episode when we're not focusing on Scully is cutting back and forth to hosting doing this ritual over Mulder and saying, you know, like, I like how he calls him the FBI man, you know, the, uh, the, the FBI man, he had really high fevers. We weren't sure he was going to make it, but the only way he could speak to the spirit people or he has a special term for them that I've already forgotten what it was, but basically his forebearers and so there's a really cool shot of Mulder just floating on this bed out amongst the stars and then like a background of just shadowy figures wearing buckethead masks yeah until, <laughs> until they step out of the shadows and the first one is deep throat who is like look uh you can't be here you have to go back you have to tell the truth because it you if you die and you come here you can learn the truth you can learn all the truth but it's not going to do any good 
because you won't be able to dispense justice. Like, all the truth will mean nothing. And then his father comes to him and is like, hey, like, son, I'm super sorry I lied to you all these years. It was a huge mistake. And you can't die yet because basically the same thing that um, Deep Throat said is like, it won't mean anything if you know the truth and you die. And this ties back to the opening narration where he's like, you're the memory. You, you're the memory of the truth. History will be different if you don't remember the truth, you know. So, and eventually Mulder wakes and gets bathed and... Yeah, he has to be bathed before the yep, sun comes up. Yep, he has to be bathed up. before the sun comes up. That's part of the ritual. And then they're all having like their meeting in the Hogan. And Hosteen says to him, you can't change your clothes or bathe for four days. And Mulder's like, well, that's really going to cut in on my social life. And everybody has a good laugh. And then Mulder's like, hey, I, I went somewhere while I was having all my fevers. And he's like, no, that's inside of you. And Mulder's like, so it was all real? And Hosteen is like, yes. And he's like, oh, by the way, the boys have a gift for you. And they give him sunflower seeds because while he was delirious, he was asking for sunflower seeds because he's Mulder. I'm surprised he didn't ask for porn, too. <laughs> and then uh, tying sort of back into the end to Scully's story, but uh, the end of Mulder's part of this episode is Mulder goes to his mother's house in Massachusetts. She gets home from uh, Fox's father's funeral. And she's like, oh my God, I thought you were dead. And he's like, no, but I need you to help me with something. And he shows her a bunch of pictures of his father with people that throughout the episode we have learned are with the syndicate. It's the smoking man, the first elder, the well-manicured man, and we'll talk about those guys, uh, and uh, Deep Throat, and uh, a couple other people that are all members of the syndicate, and his father is there with them, and Mulder's like, who are these people? And she's like, I don't know. He's like, well, you must have met them. Like, they're his co-workers. You, didn't he ever bring any of them home? And she's like, yeah, but I don't remember their names anymore. And uh, they kind of make it seem like maybe she's lying to him because she keeps saying stuff like, don't ask me about that. Like, and yeah, so she probably knows more than she's letting on. And she's like, why? What is this about? And he goes, it's about Samantha. This is about my sister. And he exits. And that's pretty much all we see of Mulder for the whole episode is him in the, the sweat lodge. Uh, getting better <clears throat> and shirtless and shirtless and sweaty, and sweaty. Mm. <laughs> meanwhile mm. while all that is being intercut throughout the episode the major plot line belongs to scully um when she leaves the navajo reservation she is pursued down the highway by a black helicopter and it lands in front of her basically forces her to stop and soldiers jump out, force her out of her vehicle, 
and are like, where are the files? Where's that tape? We need that tape. And she's like, well, the files are in my trunk, but I don't have the tape. The tape is gone. By the way, I've said this on this show before, but you want to make me really hate your villain? Make your villain the U.S. government overstepping its boundaries. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Holy crap, I got so mad. Just viscerally mad watching soldiers force Scully to stop and get out of her car. It's so, oh, it's, oh, it's um, so wrong. So she only has a little bit of what they're looking for, and so they leave. And then she, the next scene of her, she's in Skinner's office being read her dismissal, or well, her prelude to dismissal. She is being put on leave. Yeah, hand in yep. your badge, your gun, you go home until yep. I tell you otherwise. Yep, and Skinner kind of follows her out of the office. He's like, don't worry about this. I will... You know, we'll get it all taken care of. And she says to him, I think you're underestimate or I think you're overestimating the duties and responsibilities and the pull of your position. Basically saying you're a small man, you know, your power, you don't, you're at the bottom of this kind of pyramid. Yeah. Um, and she storms out and uh, goes to Mulder's office before she leaves She's looking for the tape. Mulder has hidden it. Uh, open a drawer. Reach up under where the drawer was. It was taped under there in a case, but the case under there is empty. And then we go to New York City. And this is... have I'm trying to remember. Have we met the syndicate before? Have they appeared once before? I don't think so, because I didn't recognize, um, the, I didn't recognize I didn't think some so. of these guys. Uh, I was just, my memory went <coughs> blank. I'm like, is this the first time we're seeing the syndicate or, re or so anyway, this is the syndicate and they don't mention it really. These guys are, like I said, at the end of last season, this is where we're getting into what the conspiracy is about and who is behind a lot of this stuff. So we see the smoking man reporting to his higher-ups, basically. Like, he is not even... He's a big villain in the series, but he's not the big villain in the series. He answers to yeah. these guys. And there's a overweight man with sort of a lisp. He is... They don't say it in this episode, but... He is known as the First Elder... That's he's like the top guy. He's at the head of the whole thing. And there's another dude, uh, a much older gentleman, and he's not referred to by any name. I don't think in the entire series, but in fandom, and maybe they mention this in the series. I don't think so, but he is called the well manicured man, and he is. Um, the guy that talks to Scully later at the funeral. But we see him, yeah. Okay. That that older, older dude, the well-manicured yeah. man, they call him, at least in the fandom, maybe they call him that, like as a code name, and kind of like how they call the smoking man, the smoking man, um, and the crew cut man, the crew cut man. Some of these shadowy government figures don't have real names, obviously. They're very boring, yeah, they are. too. Um, basically... The smoking man is like, hey, uh, 
we have copies of the translations. We took those away from Scully. We still don't know where the tape is. She probably still has it. I'll get that figured out. And Mulder is dead. So we don't have to worry about him anymore. That's kind of the smoking man's position to his superiors in the syndicate. And so... Scully kind of goes to her mom's house. She has a moment uh, after she is dismissed where she goes to cry and she's like, I made a huge mistake. I think dad would be so ashamed of me kind of thing. Uh, but then back at her house, she's like trying to sleep and her doorbell starts ringing and she goes to the door and it's fro hickey. <laughs> of course it's fro hickey. <laughs> fro hickey is plastered he's there to yeah he has like a whole bottle but there's a like little maybe bit like, at the bottom of maybe, his yeah like a yeah, shot well, he's there left. he's like I, I i heard the bad news i'm sorry i i, I know it's late i shouldn't I, uh, i'll just leave and she's like how much have you had to drink and he holds up this huge bottle with just a little shot in the bottom dear cycle and they do such a good job i mean the no offense to uh, the actor who plays Fro Hickey, Tom Braidwood, but Tom, Bra Tom Braidwood is already not like a handsome fella, but they do a good job of making Fro Hickey look disgusting. <laughs> they always make sure that Braidwood hasn't shaved in like maybe four <laughs> days, and they make his hair look like extra greasy and stringy. <laughs> and just... <laughs> Even though she knows Fro Hickey, just the picture of this man showing up drunk <laughs> in the middle of the night. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's so, it's so bad. It's just, well, not, it's like to that point, too, where you're, you could probably smell him through your screen. Probably. If you could really it's pay so attention. Funny. But anyway, he comes in and she gives him uh, some coffee and talks to him. And he's like, you know, ah, Mulder was such a good guy. Uh, we, li we liked him so much. He was such a good friend. Uh, and he's like, oh, by the way, uh, I found this newspaper article. And this is the article about the murder of the thinker, Kenneth Suna. And she's like, uh... <clears throat> that's weird he was killed after Mulder died like why are they starting to make themselves so obvious so she goes to FBI headquarters to see Skinner with the article because she thinks that the article can help Skinner's investigation and on her way into the building the metal detector goes off and you know the guard there is like oh that's weird agent scully like sorry i have to wand you and he kind of gives her a wand and he's like most guys would want to wand her oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> uh and he's like ah, you know what it, i've had shirt pins set that thing off it's super sensitive like whatever <laughs> go ahead and she goes up to skinner's office and she's like i found this article this guy this this kenneth suna he gave Mulder this information that everybody's looking for like maybe this can help you if you if they do ballistics on um the gun that killed Suna then maybe they can it'll be the same ballistic that killed 
Mulder's father, and that way they'll know that Mulder didn't kill his father. And Skinner's like, uh, you don't work here. Like, you've been relieved of your investigation duties. And she's like, I know, but I just, I thought it would help. He's like, nope, it doesn't help. And he throws the article back at her. He's like, you know what would help me? Why have I been... Why have I been uh, issued a search warrant for your house? <laughs> and she's like, uh, I don't know. And he's like, could it have anything to do with this tape everybody's looking for? And she's like, well, I don't have it. He's like, oh, okay. And she leaves. And then what I find really funny, too, is as soon as she leaves, like, and I just, this is not the thing from just this. This is just a weird trope. Mm-hmm. That's always I always find hilarious in most films and TV, where they walk out mm-hmm. and then the villain comes through like another yep. door, secret passage, like almost immediately. It always Her bugs ba- she's me a little. Barely bit. out the door, and the smoking man walks in the opposite door. <laughs> yeah, like being like, so does she have? Does she have the tape? Oh, she doesn't. Well, that's just gonna be bad for her now, that's isn't just it? Too like, bad for everybody. <laughs> it's just I don't know. I just always find that kind of trope it is super hilarious yeah. uh but his scully is also smoking and i'll say this like i should have said this before but man smoky man has a lot of time on his hands just be hanging around skinner's office or like right outside the he's door he's just hanging out there a couple times during this episode yeah well his position it seems like is basically to keep an eye on skinner because skinner is in charge of Mulder and scully yeah. Um, so Scully's leaving the FBI building. And as she's leaving, she kind of looks at the metal detector. And she gets this idea. And she's like, hey, can I walk through here again? And the guard is like, sure. <laughs> and so she walks through and it goes off again. And he's like, that's so weird. And she's like, could you wand me again and he's like oh yeah i'll wand you oh yeah yeah (laughs) and he's like he does the wand over her but this time he hits a spot on the back of her neck that he didn't hit before and it goes off and she's like he's like are you wearing a necklace and she's like no so she goes to see a doctor uh I presume a uh, somebody she knows because she's also a doctor and he shows her an x-ray and she has a small piece of metal embedded in the back of her neck. And he's like, ah, it, it's probably buckshot. Uh, like if you want, I can give you a local anesthetic and pull it out right now. And she's like, yeah. And so he looks at the back of her neck. He's like, oh, yeah, there's even, like, a little scar here. You probably just caught some shrapnel during, you know, the line of duty and didn't even notice it. But when he pulls it out and he looks at it under a microscope, it's actually a microchip. And this makes Scully really freak out because she's like, how did it get in my neck? Like, where, what, what's going on? So she goes and she sees her sister, Melissa, who we've sort of met before. Melissa, the clairvoyant. Yeah. Melissa. Well, not sort of actually, we met her quite a bit in the episode when Scully came back from being abducted. She's woo woo. She's hippie. She's clairvoyant. She's alternative medicine. And She's good looking, but that's because she's, you know, Scully's sister. (laughs) 
Uh, <laughs> you know, the most important part of the this. The most important part of it. And she goes, hey, like, I know maybe, you know, can you remember what happened when you were kidnapped? And Scully's like, no. And she's like, oh, you've, you've repressed it so much. It was, we can get a hypnotherapist. You need to go see a hypnotherapist. And Scully's like, no. And Melissa's like, yes, like you, there's more than one view on the world. Like it's not just your science stuff. And yeah, for once someone calls out Scully for what we've been yelling about this entire time. Yes. And I feel it's very important to point out repressed memories of alien abduction or satanic abuse or whatever. Not a real thing. Everybody ignore that. It led to a lot of problems in the late 80s, early 90s when children kept thinking they were being satanically ritually abused and people got arrested that had never abused children before. But anyway. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Scully goes to the hypnotherapist. And it does nothing. She's like, I, I don't know. I remember, like, lights, and I remember noise, and I remember this and that. And she freaks out a little bit by the end of she it. She does freak out, like, almost like she's right on the verge of remembering something. Yeah, and then he touches her, and she's like, no! He, he like, goes to grab her hand to try to calm her down, and instead it, it makes her freak out even more, and she, she runs out. Um, so... Scully then goes to Boston to attend Bill Mulder's funeral. And while she's there, you know, or actually back before she goes to Boston, she has this dream of Mulder floating through oh, the stars. Yeah. And Mulder's like basically telling her, I didn't die. I came back because the work isn't done and we need to find the truth. You know, he, he's... It's such a weird cryptic message because it starts off as like, I have crossed the bridge between the two planes of existence. It sounds like it's super. It sounds so like he's he literally, it sounds like he's literally just reading it off a teleprompter it, in the corner. And he, he says it all. It's all very complicated, but I'm making it sound silly because it sounds silly in the episode. Like he says it all so deadpan and so serious. And basically it's like, Scully, I'm back from the dead because we don't give up on me. (laughs) (laughs) And then she goes and she meets Tina, uh, you know, uh, Tina Mulder, uh, Fox's mom. And she's like, don't worry. Like, I think Fox is going to be back. Like, I don't think he actually died. I know what the FBI told you, but I think he's okay. And then we know how that goes because Mulder uh, sees her at her house. And then while she's at the cemetery, right after she's done telling Tina all that, then she's approached by the well-manicured man who is like, hey, uh, I represent this organization that uh, has a bunch of different world events and world interests at heart. And um, like someone is going to be coming to kill you. And she's like, what? And he's like, it could be somebody you know, probably will be somebody you know. Back up a moment. Before all of this happens, I almost forgot, this is important for later. She saw Skinner coming out of her house, or, or out of her apartment building earlier. Yeah. She was pulling up to her apartment, and Skinner comes out, 
And she doesn't confront him. She just watches him hop in his car and peel away. He drives away real fast. So then she calls him at his office and is like, hey, uh, you were at my house today. What did you want? And he's like, I'm sorry. I don't know what you're talking about. And she's like, I watched you come out of my building. You were there. What did you want? And Skinner goes, you are obviously confused and hangs up the phone and he's like excuse me i need to get some air and walks away and you realize he was not talking to her because the smoking man was sitting right there which again smoking man should just already know at this point I, he probably he looks like he probably yeah. does um so anyway back to like no one can be that dumb at this point oh no he knows shit um so back to Boston where the well-manicured man is like, hey, someone is coming to kill you. Uh, either these two assassins are going to show up or it's going to be someone you know to trick you into thinking you're not going to be killed. And she's like, well, why are you telling me this? Like, if, if your people want to kill me, then why would you tell me that they want to kill me? And he's like, Basically, I think they're being really sloppy, and I think that if you get killed, more people are going to catch on to what is going on, and it will endanger what we are doing. And she's like, so you don't care if I die, you just care if you guys get caught. And he's like, eh, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, that's it's pretty much what I'm doing. And he's like, so at. just, you know, watch your back. And this is where shit really starts to get real because. Yeah, this whole <clears throat> ending sequence is just like, what happens? Scully goes home and she's like, you know what? And the well manicured man even said to her, like, if you have somewhere else to, like, they know where you live. If you have somewhere else to go that they might not know you're there, go there. So she gets home. And her phone rings, and it's Melissa. And she's, you know, Melissa wants to know how the hypnotherapy went. And Scully's like, uh, it was basically a bust, but hey, something really weird happened to me today. And I'm really uncomfortable about it, and I'm a little bit scared. Can I come stay at your place? And Melissa's like, uh, well, no, you know, if you want, I can come over. And Scully's like, yeah, okay, sure. You can come over. I just don't want to be alone. And she hangs up the phone, and the phone immediately rings again. And so thinking it's Melissa calling her back because she forgot to say something, she picks up and she's like, hello? And someone immediately hangs up on the other end. And that puts Scully on edge. She calls back to Melissa's house, but she gets the answering machine. Melissa's already gone. And Scully's like, hey, um, you know what? I changed my mind. Uh, don't come here. I'm going to come to your place. I'll keep an eye out for you on my way there so I can wave you down. Bye. And she goes to leave and Skinner pulls up and she is immediately like, oh shit, this, the well-manicured man just told me that someone I know and trust is going to try to kill me. And Skinner throws open the car door and he's like, get in. And she's like, why? He's like, get in i need to talk to you and we can't do it here and she's like where are you where are we going then and he's like just somewhere i can talk to you in private get in the car and so she has 
we just saw her a minute ago put her extra gun, not her uh, FBI-issued gun, but her own personal gun. She put it in her purse. And so she gets in with Skinner, and they drive away, and they go to Mulder's apartment, which Scully has a key for because she feeds his fish. <laughs> um, and she says to Skinner, you know, she unlocks the door, throws it open, and goes after you. Skinner takes two steps inside the door. She pulls her gun on him and is like, Hands where I can see him. Don't turn around. I will blow your head off, you son of a bitch. And he's like, okay. Whoa, whoa, just whoa. And she goes in. She closes the door. She makes him sit on the couch, sit on his hands. And she keeps holding the gun on him. And she's like, you have the rest of your life to tell me everything you know. Which is... <laughs> whew. Um, He's, she's like, why are you, who sent you? Why are you here to kill me? Whose errand boy are you? And he's like, Scully, I'm not here to kill you. I'm your, I, I have the tape. Like, I took it out of I found Mulder's it, yeah. desk. I found it. In, I'm yeah. not here to kill you. Meanwhile, while they're kind of having this tension between them, back at Scully's place, Melissa not knowing Dana is gone, hops out of her car, goes inside, unlocks the door to Scully's apartment, opens the door, and is gunned down by Krychek. Um, and Krychek realizes that it is not Dana he just shot and says to his partner, we gotta go. So then we go back to Mulder's apartment, and Dana's like, okay, like, what do you mean you have the tape? He's like, I, I took it out of Mulder's desk, you know, and she gets distracted by something happening outside the door. She turns away for just a second. Skinner pulls his hand out from under, grabs his own gun, and the episode ends with Scully and Skinner pointing guns at each other. And that's the end. So <laughs> good. So, so fucking yeah. good. And... Like that's a re it's a really good way to start off a series because it catches you like if mm -hmm. this was just on like normal TV yep. or whatever, this is a great way for it to kind of get everyone's priorities in order as well as keep everyone uh, right. caught and, up. And just like or, they said, uh, like I said, that the producer said at the end, they had to make sure that they kept everybody intrigued and interested to come back for the answer to like all the answers in the third part because they knew they had a third part coming up. And ending your episode on Scully's sister might be dead and Skinner and Scully holding guns on each other, that's a pretty good incentive to come back. <laughs> it really is. Um, but yeah, that is all of the blessing way. So thoughts, letter grades? I mean, overall... <clears throat> Overall, I really enjoyed it. Great way to keep it intense. So you don't feel like you, you you so it doesn't feel like a filler. Uh, beginning of a new season, you want to keep everyone up to date as well as keep mm -hmm. it exciting. Uh, I thought the kind of keeping it's it was good kind of keeping Mulder and Scully apart mm -hmm. for a little bit to kind of get their both their stories kind of going. And I I'm a big fan of those kind of cliffhangers. So I give this an A plus. Yeah, this is. Um... I've said it before, but as the years go on for me and the more times I rewatch this, 
series, a lot of the overall mythology episodes don't hold up for me because a lot of them don't forward the plot as much as I would like them to. And they're more sprinkled throughout the series. They're farther spaced apart. But this is one of the ones I think really starts to build up. This is still kind of... Uh, so... <clears throat> Yeah, uh, I also think this one is an A+. And we're going to get to find out what the answers are. Well, some of them. Don't forget, this is still a series that has uh, 24 episodes a season and lots of seasons to go. <laughs> uh, th that's part of why the uh, overall mythology stuff doesn't always work for me as the years go on. Because it's just so spaced out. But... We do get the conclusion of this three-parter <laughs> next week with Paperclip. And then, um, oh boy, I talked about it last week, but boy, this is a good season. Oh, I'm looking at some of the episodes coming up. Uh, after we're done with this three-parter, there's two what I consider all-timers in terms of Monster of the Week episodes. Nice. They're so good. DPO and... Uh, Clyde Bruckman's final repose. Um, yeah, so we've got a lot of good stuff in store for us this season. So stoked. I'm excited to see what you think of a lot of it. Oh, it's going to be <laughs> sexy. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's it for this week. Later. Later. The FBI's Most Unwanted is a production of Two Broke Geeks Entertainment and is part of the Atomic Geekdom Network. Find the flagship Two Broke Geeks podcast wherever you download podcasts or online at twobrokegeeks.com. You can find the Atomic Geekdom Network at atomicgeekdom.com. Our artwork is by Justin Kowalski. You can find him on Twitter at J underscore Rocka. Our theme music is by Tony Longworth. You can find him on Twitter at Tony Longworth or on Facebook, Tony Longworth Dark Composer. You can help out the podcast by subscribing and leaving us a review. Thanks. Thanks.